Welcome to the Carrero Podcast. Before we get started today, we would like to inform our listeners that Carrero is supported by edX Global. It's an international nonprofit where we work with K-12 students as they work with their local and global communities, providing service learning activities. In 2022, we are asking for your support in raising $20,000. It is to assist our students and their activities in creating gardens for schools and communities, purchasing and delivering blankets for the homeless, providing curriculum for teachers across the world, purchasing backpacks and filling them with educational items for students in need, and collecting and delivering food and toiletry items for the local homeless organizations. You can donate with Venmo using at edacts-global, or you can go to our website, which is www.edaxglobal.org, spelled edacts G-L-O-B-A-L dot org and donate. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Hi, I'm Malia Hoffman and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today we have two guests. Our first guest is Adam Woods. Adam is moving into his 17th year of science engineering teaching at Segerstrom High School in Santa Ana, California. Adam has spent the last eight years developing and maintaining the first aerospace engineering pathway in Orange County which consists of three successive engineering courses designed to better prepare underrepresented students for STEM majors at the college level. Adam's passion for STEM education includes a deep commitment to leveling the playing field for young women pursuing engineering or computer science, all with the goal of closing the gender gap in technical professions. Looking into the future, Adam hopes to one day implement environmental engineering at his school site and create a synergetic aerospace environmental computer science academy. Our second guest, David Rhodes, and you may remember him from our March publication, has been a middle and high school mathematics teacher in Santa Ana Unified School District for the past 16 years. He co-presented with one of our other podcast guests, Dr. Mark Ellis, at the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics Annual Conference in Boston regarding detracking the seventh grade mathematics classes at Lanthrop. Their presentation is titled, We Must Stop Sorting Students, One Teacher's Experience with Detracking. David's personal qualities of being reflective and collaborative make him a good team player and a student advocate. Understanding that one can never stop learning, he seeks opportunities to not only improve his ability to teach, but also demonstrate strong responsibility for the teaching profession by mentoring teachers, parents, and students to not only advocate for themselves, but always be learning. David and Adam, welcome today. Thank you for joining us. Adam, can you tell us how you got started in education? Uh, sure. Uh, I had a very windy road out of college. Um, I, I dabbled around for a couple of years in um, the private sector and um, tried a few different things and they didn't work out for me. But uh, a common thread that I discovered in that process was that I enjoyed training people, other employees. Um, that was 
sort of what I took away from that two-year stint uh, in management and in a couple other jobs in the private sector. And so I decided to go back to school um, for a teaching degree, kind of working off that thread of, okay, I think I, I want to do something that's kind of technical, but I want to work with people. And I really like, um, that was sort of my first clue that I really liked being involved in the learning process of others. Um, and so, um, went to, uh, back to school, got my teaching credential at, uh, Cal State Long Beach, which is where I originally got my bachelor's as well. Um, and, um, entered the teaching field, um, a little bit later than some people do. Um, not super late though. I was probably about 25 at the time, 25, 26, um, started in, uh, Pico Rivera, um, in the LA area, taught for a year there, uh, and then got a job, uh, where I currently teach with Mr. Rhodes at Sagerstrom high school in, uh, in Santa Ana. I'm going into my 17th year. And I um, have spent 15 of my already completed 16 years at, uh, at Segerstrom High. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really impressive, Adam. Um, so, so tell us about the, about the collaboration that you, that you have with David. Um, so once I started my uh, teaching career, I, I spent the first eight years teaching uh, science, earth science and environmental science. And when I decided to get into teaching, uh, science was the only thing that sounded interesting enough <laughs> to try and teach at the high school level. I thought to myself, if I have to teach English, I'm going to die. So um, I went into <laughs> science. Um, but that was also like what was available at the time. Um, so you're kind of working off of a sort of a, a limited spread of these are the subjects we teach currently in high school and you can kind of choose from that. Um, I was an oddball in the credentialing um, program. I had a cohort of about 17 teachers. They all had science degrees. And I was the one lone guy there with a degree in religious studies. And it was <laughs> a long road. I won't bore you with that getting there. But I started college majoring in science and dabbled with, you know, I changed my major like 20 times and uh, eventually migrated over to philosophy and then eventually migrated over to religious studies and really, really loved that degree. And I loved that time uh, in college. Unfortunately, the world does not reward all degrees equally. <laughs> so I came out into the world and, and uh, had to do some very different things in the process and eventually found my way into teaching and, and started teaching science. Uh, after about eight years, I was offered the opportunity to start an engineering pathway. And so I've spent the last eight years of my career um, building an engineering pathway at Sagerstrom. And um, I get to work in a really cool lab. We have a lot of equipment and we're project-based. Um, so I've been given license as a teacher to teach fully in a project-based format. Oh, nice. Um, all day long. Basically, it's the best part of science teaching, which is lab day, all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, in the engineering world. So I have 3D printers and laser cutter and robotics and it's a $200,000 lab that's grant funded. Wow. And I'm like a kid in Willy Wonka's candy shop. Uh, and it's absolutely amazing. So last year at, in the fall, uh, I think it was the first week, Mr. Rhodes came into my classroom and he and I already had a good like working relationship. Um, our personality quirks line up well, and um, he—I'll let him talk about himself more. But he is a um, 
he's a, a unique math teacher in the sense that he's very open to approaching math from a lot of different directions with his students. Um, and you don't always find that with that particular population of teachers. At least that's not my experience. Um, so he came into my classroom in the, in the fall and he, and he said, uh, I have a visually impaired student, I have a blind student, and I have to teach her geometry. And uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? And so we started having organic conversation from there. Yeah. Yeah, Let's really see. developing that STEM relationship, right? So connecting that science yes. and that. Well, yeah, the, the thing was is, is she walked up to my door and, and I, I had, you know, and she was late to class and there was a knock and you answer the door and there's a student with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a blind cane. And I was thinking to myself, how is this going to work? I mean, I got to teach this kid trigonometry. And it's geometry. It's a completely traditionally visual subject. And so I was searching around for about a week and I contacted people, everybody from my credential program back to my master's program that I had numbers for and scouring the Internet for, you know, something tangible that I could put in this kid's hands. And there was nothing that everything was kind of just specific to a certain thing. Um, and not very universal to be used. And so I was kind of freaking out. I'm going, well, we'll figure it out. And so um, I started thinking and I go, we gotta, I gotta be able to get these pictures into our hands. And if there was only some way to build them. And then I go, let me go see if uh, what's going on with Woods over in the engineering lab and see if, and my first thing was, was hopefully he could like teach me how to do some CAD. And then I would just go in afterwards and do it. And because I've done CAD before, back in the last century when I was first an engineering major at UCI, and before consequently having to change my major due to another long story, but is, you know, is because is, we could print it. And if I could print them and get them into her hands, then she's feeling what all the other kids are looking at. And so she would then have a, a starting point and a reference point as to what it was to say the opposites, the side opposite the angle or whatever, you know, and what, what do parallel sides look like? What do, you know, just everything that goes along with geometry. And so I, I, I went over and, and said, Hey, I got this blind student. I got to teach a geometry. And he kind of looked at me and went, Oh, really? How exciting. I went, yeah, man, I don't, I don't, we don't have anything. And the district didn't have anything. There was no textbook that was around. There was nothing that arrived with the student, which, which kind of frustrated me. It still frustrates me today sure. in that how do you have a student who's now going to be a junior and you've got nothing with her but a couple of folks in support that can translate text into Braille um, because the stuff's just not there. So she does have a, t a support team of about two people with her on site and the district gets them all around. But if you know where this kid's going, you'd think you'd be able to get ahead of that and say, okay, we're going to need this text and this text. And the unfortunate part about that after going through some things in <clears throat> with this project was that uh, a Braille book takes up an entire bookcase for one subject because the pages are so big I mean, that's not going to work on a podcast, but the pages are about 12 inches by 12 inches is what they're printed on this printer. And so 
it's just a lot thicker because just because of the type of characters, the way the dots are set out and, and standardized. So, so then how, how, how were your first couple of meetings? Can you, can you talk, can you take us through, through that? Because, um, um, a lot of our listeners are pre-service teachers and, and, and teachers. Um, yeah. The, so, so just kind of like, how did it, it just, What's the, this thing built itself, it it came to fruition totally organically where we were just sitting there kicking around ideas and there were two parts going on because instruction is starting and I have nothing. And then there's also the stuff later on in the year, which is coming, which I'm going to need. And so what Adam, there were kind of two, two, two folds to this. The first fold was to get something the kid could actually use. So we created a pegboard that had four quadrants by I couldn't find any that were affordable to me. Um, so I got four of them and, and some supplies and went down to the lab and, and we built it. I bought some plexiglass and Adam was able to laser cut uh, some basic shapes that I could use for reference. And, um, you know, when we're talking about, you know, isosceles trapezoids and just weird random stuff that pops up in geometry, but, is and so we built a four quadrant pegboard that she could then use for translating shapes because that was the first year that was coming up is just here's how things move because geometry kind of builds on itself it's not just arbitrary angles even though it seems like that at times when critical thinking and everything but the way an angle can hold its shape because it's a rigid transformation and so it can it can slide it can spin it can it can it can flip it can do all sorts of things and it still holds its shape. So when you're looking at different shapes and trying to prove things, it all sort of makes sense. And there's reasons behind it. All of that aside, we didn't have that. So we built it with some glue and using some tools and we got some pictures of it and stuff. And that was version one version two of the pegboard came later is because of shipping time and everything like that. It took about a month for it to arrive, but it was a rubber pegboard that was a little bit more, it was a little more fluid. So you could just put stick pins in it and then make the shapes with rubber bands. And she could then move them where I could set them up problems like that. And then she could count off shapes just like using graph paper and stuff like that. So it was grass paper, graph paper for her. Um, but we still, I still needed shapes. And so I asked Adam, I, I said, what do you, you know, and Adam can probably talk to this a little bit was like just exactly how much time this thing started taking on. Yeah, so, I mean, it was the first week of school, and um, anyone who's taught before knows, like, I mean, there's just a, there's, there's a million tasks coming at you, and this is, I mean, my experience in teaching is that as the teaching year progresses, and like this, like this could just be the district I work in, or I don't know how universal this is, but when you start a teaching year, especially in the fall, there's all the normal teaching stuff. And then there's all the stuff the district wants to accomplish that year. Like the big new grand things they want to do. And it's all coming at you, right? Like August, September, October. This year, we're going to launch this amazing new program we've been wanting to do. All this stuff comes flying at you. Uh, by like February or March, you know, if you throw an idea out, things start to get tabled, right? By like February or March, the district will start saying, Oh, that might be more of a next year idea, you know, <laughs> and they start, you know, and then by the end of the year, it's, it's like, let's just get to the summer. But then you get to that next fall and all that stuff comes back up on the table. So 
you're already dealing with like, you know, first week stuff and then all this stuff is flying at us. So it's an, it was an intense period. Um, and then Mr. Rhodes comes in and says, we need to make some stuff for this student. And my, my brain first went to, okay, I'm just going to knock a few of these out. I thought maybe he was going to need like two or three models and I'll just knock these out really quick. And I started mentally adding it to my list, my running to-do list of things. And that, through those first couple conversations he and I had, it became apparent that A, um, the need was a lot bigger than that. B, it was not the strongest plan for me to add all that stuff to my list <laughs> in terms of follow through. And the most important thing, C, it would be a lost opportunity. This is something that we can involve students in. Um, I had the capital in the classroom in terms of the equipment, but we also had the student capital. And for me, I teach my engineering classes are CTE, career tech ed. And a big emphasis on the classes is connecting with the private sector and doing real world projects. So it's college and career. It's not just thinking about college, it's thinking beyond that, thinking about awesome. moving out into the professional world. So they, um, I was like, this is an opportunity. This is a real world opportunity. Uh, Mr. Rhodes is the, so that reframed it. I don't know what that was by our second or third conversation. I realized this is a, a mistake if I just try and knock these out really quick. Yeah, it's going to take it's going to take a lot of time because it came up. He goes, "Well, how many you know things do you need?" And I go, "Well, I need the entire textbook, every picture that the other kids use. She needs to be able to see it, per se, and so she needs to be able to have it in her hands." And um, I, as this, it ended up at first. I got together. Well, I started looking at it, and, and I think I shot out something like, you know, I don't know, like, like fifteen of them. And he just goes, "I." We need, we need more help with that. And then it hit on him that he had these students that might be willing to do something. So the beauty of it is that it ended up being completely volunteer. So this wasn't an extra class we added. The students got no credits. They got no payment. They signed up because, and they're juniors and seniors primarily, so a little bit more mature. But they signed up because they were intrigued and they recognized right away that it was a professional learning opportunity and that was value in it of itself enough to to attack something like this Ms. Rhodes and I were very open we were like look we don't know what we're doing <laughs> exactly because we're figuring this out and um, they were game for it they were awesome uh, about 15 students signed up and I think 12 or 13 followed through all the way to fruition um, and uh, when once Mr. Rhodes went back and identified the whole year of what he was going to need. It ended up being like 60, yeah, it was like 60 PDFs of images. Wow. Are we able to share our screen on this or do you guys not want to do that? We, we could show it, but it's going to be on a podcast. So it's not, it's like I have a nice face for radio. Got it. Nice. Never mind. All right. <laughs> well, no, well, I can send you guys pictures later of Mr. Rhodes pegboard that he built in the beginning. And then the stuff that we yeah. laser it's very visual, you know? So well, but, one of the things that I'm that, that I'm interested in um, is what what have both of you taken from from this for your for your other um, kids? Um, like 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 has this changed your how you or modified how you look at teaching um, or um, ways in which you're working with community members or you know anything anything of that nature? 
Yes, and I, I don't know how to answer that just because, well, you know, I, I look at it like, okay, so you get this kid that comes in that the district has known about for about the past, I don't know, uh, they're, they're a sophomore. So what is that? What is that? You know, how many years of school is the kid in there going to be, you know, 10, 10 years and the kid's been in, in, in district for that long. And you just kind of go, if how many other kids out there are they're just kind of busting it out going, okay, well, now we have to have this plan because this kid's here. It's like, well, you kind of knew where this kid was going. It, it, it kind of enrages you a little bit, but at the same, the other side of it is, is something that, you know, I take away from my, my credential program, which is just like, hey, man, you're not always going to have everything that you need for what it is that you need to do. But you got to understand that, you know, every kid that comes into the classroom is going to have a specific or several specific needs basically. And you, you got to find some creative way to do that. I think that it's, it's all another discussion. It's just, it's just all shortcutted with, you know, differentiation is like that. It's just like, no, let's just try to get this kid to understand what it is, whatever it takes and however it takes it. Just. Yeah. I mean, our job is to provide equitable education to all students Correct. That was my big thing this whole time was, you know, this kid doesn't have access to it. So if I can give this kid access to it, then I now then I can actually see what this kid's going to do, because I got a hard I'm I'm not going to be one to to, to pull punches and pad grades and and lower expectations, you know, um, because I've always kind of seen like, hey, you got to get across this river. And you can try, but if you don't get across the river, you're not going to get across the river. And, you know, different grades can be different, like style points and stuff like that. But the ultimate goal, success, passing is getting across the river. And my job is to help them get themselves across the river. And And it's tricky when you're in a classroom teacher, too, because you can, you know, in a situation like this where this student showed up and... Rhodes, you were informed that you had this student like on the first day of school when she showed up, right? I was informed so, that quickly. I mean, that, that quickly. It didn't stack things up nicely for you, you know? And so it's interesting, too, because it's, there's a, as the classroom teacher, you can go a lot of di- different directions. You can sit there and stomp your feet and say, this is not equitable education and this isn't on me. This isn't on me. This The system failed. Like a whole bunch of people failed. Yeah. But you also can look at it as this is an opportunity to innovate. I mean, the, the truth is probably both are true, right? <laughs> but yeah. you're sitting there as a teacher going, the, the reality is this is a moving train. The, the year has started. Yeah. And every minute we waste, this kid is falling through. And what motivated, my personal motivation for this project was Mr. Rhodes' commitment, his like unyielding commitment to this student will be successful in my classroom, no matter what. I don't care, it doesn't matter. And, and that, that, you know, teachers need inspiration too. <laughs> you know, and we find it from a lot of places. We get it from our students and occasionally we get it from colleagues and it's, it's, it's really great. So that was the engine behind my effort in being involved in this is I saw that commitment and, and I, you know, I saw the value in that. And um, I was like, all right, then we got to make this happen. And the, the students saw the value in it. It was great. I mean, we pitched this to the kids. We said, look, this is a fellow student that's in need. And, and they we were very honest with them. We were like, the, the student's in need. The system is not sufficient right now. 
for this student. We have to innovate something and it's a very urgent need. And the, I mean, teenagers are wired for social justice, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it. And also they want to know that like the stuff they're learning is, you know, directly, they want to know it's applicable. And I drank the punch on project-based learning, real world problem-based education, needs-based learning, all that stuff about eight years ago when I started this program. And I went to training for the engineering because, again, it was something that gave me license to teach that way. And the more I did it, I was like, oh, this is the way to go. Um, So Mr. Rhodes, really opportunity that he brought in for these for my students was to live into that to a greater extent. And and they got that professional. It ended up being in-house and not with the company. You know, I've interacted with like Virgin Galactic and other aerospace companies and really fancy titles. So this wasn't outside, this was internal to our school, but it was in a wonderful community-based uh, project. And the students, they, they ate it up. They went for it. And yeah, they, well, and they right. saw that the value, they saw that woods and roads were not going to be able to, even though we really wanted to do it, we were not going to be able to provide that much in enough time. And so they really saw the need. They were like, oh, wow, this... And they also got to see all the stuff that they've learned. So I had been teaching them CAD over the last several years. These are students that most of them had already been in my program for a couple of years, and they were going into their third program, uh, third year, pardon me. And um, so they already had a lot of skills under their belt. But they've been hearing things like, hey, when, this is really going to help you when you get to college because you'll already have these CAD skills and you'll be accelerated faster ahead of the other college students. And then you're going to really love this when you start as a professional. But again, it's that message of like someday you're going to use this. And they need those visceral, like immediate, no, I'm using it now. And it's impacting the world around me. It's shaping the world around me. And now I get to see the power of, of an engineer. I get to affect people's lives in a really positive way. It was fantastic. Well, I think what what you all did is you established a curriculum for visually impaired students. And like, that's exactly what, what it was called. It yeah. was uh, geometry for visually impaired yeah. students. Yeah, but like, I, I yeah. feel like you could probably market this on a, I mean, you know, like partner with someone, market this on a larger scale. So yeah. that way someone doesn't have to reinvent the wheel next time a student comes into their classroom that's visually impaired. I know that like, Dave, you said that uh, that there were other resources out there that you just didn't have the budget for, right? But well, yeah, they, it, we, there were, I couldn't, I didn't have money to go buy a three hundred dollar rubber board made by this company that creates these things in general for the visually impaired or the blind. Mm-hmm. And the, the the side of it that that and, and yeah, there there was stuff out there. But the thing I want, I didn't, I wanted stuff. I wanted her to do the same curriculum that all the honors kids were doing, the standard regular ed kids were doing. I wanted her to have the same experience all the other kids were having. I didn't want to have something that was adjusted, you know, so much. I wanted her to work with the same exact figures that the kids were having using that were labeled the same way. And so she would have the same struggles and triumphs that the other kids would have. And uh, she flourished. Yeah, I mean, because then she can still work with her peers, right? Because they're yeah, all exactly doing. She was leading them. Yeah. Let, in some cases, she was actually leading them in groups. Yeah, she would actually. Uh-huh. She 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 had a tenacity that 
and, and I think that this is something that, that we need to kind of recognize is there are folks out there that have been, been having to mitigate and navigate things that are seemingly against them. And the surprise, surprise factor of it is, well, because they've been doing that, they've got a certain level of tenacity built up to be successful. And so she, there was no quit in this kid at all. Um, we, 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 I don't know, we, we outpaced the given technology that she came in with. They had to buy her a different calculator so she could do inverse trig functions along with the other kids. And she, they, so they had to buy her an audio calculator um, that would respond, would answer in, in voice. So she wore headphones. She had to memorize where the keys were because there's too many key buttons on this thing to put it in Braille. So she's doing inverse tangent functions to complete a triangle and, and determine size. I mean, she did everything that that she needed to do to demonstrate the standards that the kids need to do. And she did it. And she would she would actually start towards the, the latter third half of the year. She was actually asking for, hey, can I see the card that has this on it? I mean, she wouldn't say see it. She'd say get me it. But anyway, so she, she would go, she would, you know, her group would, would raise their hand and get my attention across the room or something and say, hey, Sophia wants the card that has, you know, the rhomboid on it or something or the parallelogram or whatever that has, you know, whatever shape represented what the problem was. So she could have a figure that she could work with. And she would also then point to it and show the other kids. So she's using the visually impaired tools that we made for her to help teach other kids. And then I was also able to use some of those things that she was using. If you got a concrete learner, you toss that to the kid and they can figure it out. Then they got the shape, you know, if they're not good, you know, artistically in, in drawing it or using the thing that I printed out on paper form. And this yeah. to me, like, I, this is going to be a very selfish comment. I'm going to bring it back to like my own experience. Uh, but it, this is also how you teach for 30 years. Like, how, how do you get, how do you do that without burning out? Like, I was, like, as the project went on, I was just, it was like one pleasant surprise after another, you know, and Rose and I were, it was a learning pro. it was a 360 learning process. And it, I learned so much from it. Um, and as well as all the students. And I, sometimes I think, after a while too, that teachers will get positioned or they'll position themselves to be in less and less of a learning role, right? And more and more of just a, you know, doing or outpouring role. Uh, and it, it was, it made it so gratifying, uh, you know, to see that process into all, and all the learning that I got out of it too. Um, it was also really, really fun to work with a colleague from another department and collaborate. That and was pretty cool. It's amazing how little of that happens. <laughs> you're abs <laughs> you're absolutely right. I think yeah. every time I get reinvigorated for my curriculum and for my, my students is when I'm collaborating with another faculty member. Correct. And that happens so rarely, I feel. You know, and students leave. They leave the public system thinking all these subjects are separate. Yep. Right. Or they leave college thinking all these things are separate. And um, and it's it's not intended. We don't intend for them to think that way, but we've separated everything. Mm -hmm. And then we haven't provided sufficient opportunity for them to see how all these things converge. Yeah, I, I would call it partitioned. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
we partition everything. And of course, we know why we've done that. We've tried to, we've tried to make it manageable chunks of learning, right? We're yeah, trying to make a system yeah. that's manageable. But, and there, I'm sure, I know there's schools out there that are doing amazing, an amazing job with integration. Correct. Um, and, um, you know, I would yeah. love to see more of that. And, and that's and that was one of the things that that I I try to hammer in with when I was in teacher teacher ed that the that the only people that love your subjects are you are single subject teachers kids don't unless you you know unless you make it fun kind of like this when you integrate different you know different things and you collaborate and you you know and you bring in areas of of in enjoyment that that all of our kids have and then then make it into something that's meaningful but um adam one of the things that you that you brought up that i'm that i'm curious about and then dave too was there any pushback from teachers or administrators as you as you guys were going on if you could talk about that and what was the pushback uh the pushback that I kind of experienced, I wouldn't call it like pushback because, you know, it, but there was some folks kind of thumbing their nose, I guess, at it or whatever, whatever the phrase is, is we were going through the accreditation process and I brought it up to the math department. I said, look, well, we can have something that we're doing that's new, that's kind of innovative is we've got this geometry for the blind thing. And, and they go, well, that, don't, that doesn't affect all students, it only affects one. <laughs> to which, to which my, my response was, uh, was, was your scope is limited. And because, and, and I go, I go, they go, well, we'll put it in. And I don't know if they put it in or not, but he looked like he was, they looked like they were typing it in. But then I looked at the final thing. I, I couldn't find it in there. And the, the part about that, that's the sad fact of that is it, <laughs> is you've got this thing that I've used with other kids in the same classroom with this student. I mean, she got up and she presented math problems to the class using her Braille writer. She did exactly the same thing the other kids did. And if you, and, and the fact that my own people couldn't even see the value in that, um, which it just reinforces why I don't hang out in the teacher's lounge, but, and department meetings or whatever, because, you know, you bring up the collaboration thing and it's, just, I mean, our principal was great on it. Uh, everybody at the county was great on it. The CTE people from the county level were great on it. Uh, Adam's great on it. He goes, hey, did you take pictures today? I'm like, dude, I can't take pictures, man. I'm in the middle of teaching a lesson. I'm not going to be walking around. I, I forget these things because I get into whatever it is. And so, but to have it kick back with, well, it only, it's, that's only for one student. Half of me wants to go, you guys are only teaching the five kids in every class anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so it, I just get mm-hmm. bitter at that. And I know it's not the case <coughs> because I've got, to, I, you know, I, I know it's, it, it can't be the case. It just can't be. And if it is, whatever, who cares? And so, because, you know, none of that is my concern. I deal with the 36 to 40 kids that walk through my door. When they come in, I lock the door. And my job is to make sure that they can reach whatever it is they got to reach. And can I help them do that? You know, I can do it for them. But my, my grandfather used to always say, he go, look, I can show you how to do it. I can do it. I, you know, I can do it myself, but I can't do it for you. 
you know, and, and me showing you how to do this problem isn't going to help you on the next one because I'm not going to do that one for you. You've got to somehow learn how to think and put pieces together and work through this. And so, uh, but yeah, the, the fact that, that it just came, I mean, whatever. So I didn't get, I mean, pushback, I kind of agree. Pushback's not something I experienced, but uh, I did experience in the CTE world, the all the people that the district that support what I do in the classroom and manage all the grants that fund everything, all of that, they they were of course they were like this is awesome, they were loving it. But that group of people is a very innovative group. <laughs> so you have a you have a concentration of super innovative teachers. So when I go to CTE meetings, it's like you know the, the guy sitting next to me, he might have a special program at a school that's like videography, right? Or and the other person's like advanced auto mechanics. And I'm sitting here doing engineering and there's another guy from another school or another woman from another school that's doing um, a dental program, right? Like full on dent professional dental program. Wow. So we're, you know, and they're coming out with like dental assistant licensing and everything. So that that's like um, hanging out with a bunch of musicians that all play different instruments. And they're saying, Hey, the trumpet's not my jam, but I totally get what you're trying to do. And it's awesome. That group of people, when I get to go hang out with them, it is like I could teach for a thousand years with this group <laughs> because they're always innovating all the time, constantly. They're a bunch of super nerds and they have been given license to do it. They're supported by the system to do that. How do we um, create that? That's How do we not indicative of the mainstream teaching population. And it's partly not the teacher's fault. It's also they have just gone through you know 15 years of being hammered by you're limited to the test and all of that. So we also are dealing with a generation of teachers that have been shaped a certain way. This is a larger conversation, but this is, and this is just my opinion, but they've been shaped a certain way because of a overarching, you know, system they've been pushed through. And when I went to school in the eighties and nineties, things were taught a certain way. Then when I went to teacher ed, we were in the no child left behind, you know, engine that was going. So my whole experience of early teaching was shaped by a very, different test focused way of teaching. And now that a lot of that's being kind of unraveled and things are being a little bit more opened up. Um, and I feel like I'm teaching in more of an ethos that was around when I was a kid. So it's kind of, well, it, it, it's an ethos that was around from before the industrial revolution. It's, it's, yes. <laughs> it's just, every time there's research cited on what makes a good classroom, it always goes back to like, Dewey and all those folks way back in the past. It's all the same stuff, you know. Not, not Dewey. Now let's now let's get our education history right. Okay. <laughs> so who was it? It was the committee of eight and committee of twelve that everything was focused on. God, going you're going to, you're going before any university. university. You're going oh, super yeah, bad. Yeah, that's, okay, that's, so. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, point being, it, it would have been easy for Adam to go, dude, that's really big. I can help you in my spare time. Um, but he didn't. And because I was just kind of like, you don't understand, man, I got to get this kid to learn this stuff. And you got the stuff in here that I'm going to need. And then once it got put out to the to the kids and the kids picked up on it, we were coming before. And I, I was giving we were doing an, I was doing an hour before school and after school on, on Wednesdays or Tuesdays, whatever, whatever day it was. And the kids were showing up and they were doing it and they were saying, how's this look? And I go, that looks great. Let's print now, can it. You, can you talk about that? Can you, can you talk about the, your, your actual students? Um, did you see 
any changes in them as as the as the weeks kept on going and they were um, and they were working on these on these projects? Well, what, one thing I think that the the easiest physical change thing was as they were doing it is is they would go, well, that looks good. And then it would look good to us. It would feel good to us. And then we took it to her and said, what do you think about this? And she's like, no, this is too, this corner is too small. The, I can't feel this dot in here. I don't know what angle it is. So she was giving us, Adam had asked for some feedback. And that's what became the most exciting thing for me is as it evolved, it turned into a full, like private sector professional experience because yes. Sophia is the end user. Yeah. We got Rhodes was the client. The teach, you know, the, the 13 students that stayed with us, they were all like basically the, the employees, the designers. Um, I was essentially like their project manager. <laughs> I wasn't doing it. I wasn't actually accomplishing anything, but I was telling them what to do, like I what needed to get done, you know. But it was a full, it really was like a, a from a design standpoint, like working in a design firm or an engineering firm yeah. or really any professional organization that has to produce a polished product, you know. It was a full dialogue, and the the designers, the students, weren't having a lot of direct interaction with Sophia, but they were getting user feedback through Mr. Rhodes and through actual, like, video and stuff that he took of her, like, checking stuff out. And they were improving, and it really was guided by user feedback. Did they? Uh, and the students saw the, uh, the objectivity of this, like, hey, this isn't personal. You didn't mess up or do something wrong, or not get the A, or displease Mr. Woods. You made a product that is working great in these ways and is still not sufficient in these ways. That's it. And so fix it. And we fixed it, or they fixed it, and went back, and it was better. But they also got the idea that there is no, like, final destination. You know, there's a constant iteration process. Uh, and that that was so exciting for me because they, before leaving high school even, they have a this real-world you know, this real world experience is so cool. Well, that's yeah, something that I want to awesome. develop is in, in students and in my students is this constant learning iteration, right? Like the learning is never done just because you met everything on the rubric doesn't mean that you've mastered this topic or this subject. And so like, I think that's a really important quality or uh, lesson that you've instilled in them is that, it's never finished. It's never perfect. It can always be refined. Yeah, and the agency that they gained in it, I mean, you could, it's so fun as a teacher because you could see it developing, you know, in real time. The agency that they gained when they realized, okay, Rhodes and Woods kind of know what they're doing here. Like, they know that they need to solve this problem, but they don't know exactly what the product is, the final product is, because they're telling me they don't know that, and they're asking me to figure that out. And we're doing it together, but I'm seeing that they don't, that, that I'm the one inventing this. Uh, and for them to see that, it was incredibly, you know, empowering for them. And they saw a lot, they took on a lot more agency in their, in their learning and the skills and the value of those skills along the way. So that was really fun to see too. Yeah, she, she I mean, it, it's uh, agency, advocacy, autonomy, self-reliance, all that good stuff and it came out of it. You know, I mean, there was, even with the interviews, it was, there was, you know, we, there was like one, uh, student that, you know, she was female and in an engineering class. And I think we only had one in that group, even though you have like an entire feminist club, we had one 
maybe two, and but only one came to the final interviews with the folks from county doing it. And you know, she almost she had the people in tears talking about how it's important that people show up and do that you wouldn't think would normally be able to do, which is kind of the whole impetus for the entire project is is that is having is you know showing up doing something you don't think everybody else thinks you either should be doing or they think you can even do and then doing it and just being able to advocate on 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 that and represent yeah it was 12 or 13 boys and one girl yeah so yeah which that's why i started that club you know because that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) women in stem but yeah it's my my classes are definitely male dominated um and there are girls that are there but it's a very it's a very small group so it was um cool for her to see and what she vocalized is what i've seen over the last eight years which is especially in stem but in general and i'll just say it and i can say it because i'm a guy (laughs) for 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 males their comp especially in that younger those younger ages their confidence tends to exceed their ability (laughs) <laughs> and then for females, it's the opposite. Their confidence uh, tends to sit below their ability. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and dealing with, you know, especially the freshman and the sophomore boys dealing with that group, um, my, my challenge is always like, all right, let's get your ego in check without totally destroying your motivation. And then with the girls, it's like, I just need you to see that it, you're, you're, the possibilities are so far beyond what you think they are uh, for yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, so it was, she did vocalize that, and it was um, it was it was fun to see that that uh, she was gaining that confidence along the way. Yeah, I, I get a lot of the stuff of like it's okay not to learn because they're not a math person, you know, or, or I wasn't a math person either, and it's like there's no such thing as a math person and a not math person, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's like saying, yeah, uh, well, I'm, you know, you like certain kind of foods more than you like other kind of foods. Everybody's got their own little favorites. That's fine. It doesn't mean you can't. Um, you know, oh, I can't eat broccoli. Yes, you can eat broccoli. Well, unless it, you got dietary things or whatever. But, you know, I mean, ultimately, I'm not going to let the, I'm not going to sit there and let this kid not be able to do something and have the excuse be, well, I couldn't do it because I'm blind. Right. I, 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 I go, I go, there's no way because there's so many folks anyway that, and examples of, of the contrary in everything that show that, yes, you can, if you want to, you will be able to. My whole thing was, you know, and I'm sure that this gets coming out of pandemic after having to do algebra online virtually last year with a garbage experience from education. And what can I then do to at least somehow say, hey, man, you know what? Let's give this thing a shot and let's see what you can actually do. Well, the cool thing is you go from, let me see if I can just have this student do up with the math to maybe we've just expanded math. Like you, you, the paradigm totally shifts, which to in parallel, that's what I do with the female students now. When they do come to me after a year or two and they go, I don't know if I can be, I'm not sure if I, I, I can see that they're very bright. And they're extremely capable and they would make an awesome engineer. But they're sitting there going, I don't know if I can be an engineer, right? There's all these and messages. I tell them, I go, then don't, don't engineer, you know, I, I will, I will playfully say things like, don't engineer like a guy, engineer like a girl. And they're like, what? Like, that doesn't even make sense because <laughs> they have this narrow concept of there's an objective way to be an engineer. 
And I keep trying to tell them, I go, no, as a professional engineer, you're going to take all your education and all your learning, and then you're going to take you. You're going to put those two things together, and you're going to give the world something that it's never seen before. That's your superpower. Your superpower is you in the engineering field. That's never existed, and it'll never exist again. And you're going to innovate and think about things that no one ever has and see something that no, see it in a way that no one else ever has. And it's like mind blowing when they hear that, you know? And I'm like, maybe engineering, maybe we just don't do enough female influence engineering. Maybe engineering needs to be expanded. Maybe it's not about getting girls to be able to handle engineering. Maybe it's about changing engineering, you know, just having them think that way Mm -hmm. and go, what if we did that? We may, engineering may, may become this thing that's way better than it ever has been. And they're not, they're not, it's like, it takes a while for that to soak in too, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of eye-opening for them to see that. Gentlemen, we um, are running out of time here, but we do like to ask our guests what their call to action is. So based on your experiences, your almost two decades of teaching each of you, what would you say is your call to action? I will yield to Adam first. <laughs> uh, you mean for myself or for teachers in general? Uh, teachers in general. Okay. I think that um, I'm just going to go back to I want to, I think that we should see challenges as invitations to innovate. And I know that can sound overly optimistic (laughs) at times, but I think that, I think we should see challenges as invitations to innovate. I love it. This should be a t-shirt. There you go. Little catchphrase. That's right. A challenge is an opportunity to innovate. Yeah, I, I just look at it. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I there's there's so much stuff flying around social media right now, and and so many teacher shortages, and people that are bitter with the system, and the system's bitter with the people, and 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 everything. And I I just it doesn't have to suck, <laughs> and and you know because you know all, a lot of the stuff that makes teaching difficult has nothing to do with actually teaching. And it's, it's kind of the same reason I will never be equipped to go handle admin because there's two groups that I can't deal with, which are teachers and, and parents, um, because the kids are phenomenal. And, you know, and I say that kind of in jest, but it's just like, uh, you know, so I, I just look at it like, you know, I close the door and it's like, okay, how can I help them understand this? Um, because I'm selling ice to, to, to Inuits and stuff, you know, and, and they, 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 it's just like, they don't need it. They may not want it. They, they may, you know, so what can I do to help make this something different and, and everything? And, you know, it's just, my job is, is just figure it out, man. And, and, and get fired up because, you know, I, I say best effort, never quit and, and stay ready. You know, it's really that best effort, never quit thing that, that I just hold on to because 
okay, at the end of every day, I go home and I crash and I burn because I was just on for however long the day is and however many classes I'm teaching and what else I ran into that day. And then I get up the next day and I do it again because I know for some reason it's worth it. You know, because if not, if it's not going to be me, it's going to be someone else. And I don't, you know, I mean, I tell them I'll fight with you from the, from day one. I'll fight with you for you. Um, and, you know, because I know they can. Because someone, you know, I did for me, I knew I, I didn't know I could and I'll figure it out. So, yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's not really, I don't know. It's just, it's just, got to do it, you know, and just figure it out. I mean, and, and a lot of, you know, with the, with the, the burnout, the shortage rates and people burning out and going, Oh, I can't handle this and that. It's just, I just go, okay, but we can't all just, you can't quit. You just can't quit. I'll probably just pop up into a, just a flame and burst up and be dust <laughs> at the end of it. You know? So I don't know. Well, I, I, thank you. I, I loved hearing your, your story and your experiences. And I'm sure that your, all of your students um, learned so much from that experience and it just changed their perspective. So thank you for your endless efforts towards equitable education. So important. Yeah, I hope Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with both. It was nice meeting both of you and uh, have a chance to talk about this story. It was awesome.